Hey moms, welcome to the Gather Moms podcast. My name is Kate. And I'm Rebecca. We've created this space just for you because we're both moms and we get you. Yes, we believe there truly ain't no hood like the motherhood and we need to be in this together. We also believe we can't mom well without Jesus. So you're going to hear us talk about him too. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gather Moms and make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. All right, mamas, let's jump in. moms welcome to episode 89 of the gather moms podcast we are so excited to kind of follow up on last week's episode on talking to our kids about their bodies and sex with an interview this week with amy davison who uh, is a contributing author to the mama bear apologetics and she is so passionate about helping moms and kids know what they believe and know how to defend it and so today she's going to help us kind of dive into this conversation about help how do i talk to my kids about culture and sex Yeah, you guys, she is a powerhouse. Like, I don't know that I've ever said this before, but if you were going to ever take notes on an episode, this would be the episode to take notes on and listen to over and over because she has so much great stuff to us uh, for us to say to us, especially in this cultural moment where we are navigating something so unknown and so overwhelming. She helps us feel not afraid and gives us the tools we need. So let's jump into our conversation with Amy Davison. Hey, Amy, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. Oh, I was so glad. Thank you so much for inviting me, ladies. This is awesome. Well, you're a mom, and so you're going to be so excited to talk to our moms today. But before we get started, can you just tell our moms a little bit about yourself so that they know who they're talking to? Yeah, so I am Amy Davison. I am a writer and podcast host with Mama Bear Apologetics. It's a ministry geared toward moms, but papas and grandmamas as well to help equip parents to raise their kiddos to stand firm against the cultural tide because it is raging. And so this is it's a wonderful ministry I'm a part of. I'm based here in Texas, which is great. I've been married to my husband for over 15 years now, and we have three boys that are getting into those teen years. So like the boy crazy is ramped up a notch. So that is where we are in in our life, which is it's, it's fun and it's crazy and always hilarious. That's amazing. Well, and you're right in the thick of it. Like you just said, you've got three boys entering the teenage years. So you are seeing this whole culture and sex thing from a different personal angle now because it's impacting Mm -hmm. your kids. And I think we've seen that in our culture. I think I don't know. When I read the Bible, I know it was around back in the old days, like Sodom and Gomorrah. They were struggling with stuff too, but today it just feels like it's so in our face everywhere we go. Yeah. So last week on the podcast, we kind of started this conversation with our moms. We talked about just helping our kids understand their bodies and sex, but we just kind of started the conversation. Today, we Mm want to take it one step further. And we do have some young moms listening with littles. They are definitely probably not ready to talk about all this, but our goal is just to put a bunch of tools in their pockets to give them insight. But then for me personally and for Kate, we've got teenagers, so we are bought into this. We want to raise our kids to be a light in this generation and we need all the help we can get. So we're thrilled to have you on the podcast today to just talk us through all these issues. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that's one thing that is different from ramping into going from the little kid age to now in the middle school and in high school, because it, it almost just floods into things. I mean, my son, this is his first year of high school. So he's ninth grade. 
And even he came home after probably two or three days of school and he goes, oh my gosh, mom, this is so different. So elementary school and middle school was fairly sheltered and now he's in high school and it is like a complete culture shock. So yeah, it's so important for us to have these conversations. Definitely. So just start us off. How have you seen the culture change in the past few years and how it targets and really um, comes after our teens in regards to their sexual identity? Absolutely. It is very evangelistic in nature. So when we were kids, especially when you think of the millennial generation, when it comes to discussions about LGBTQ or even sexuality, these were fairly, it it wasn't overly present. Like you think of friends and will and grace, that's pretty much where it was. That's, that's all you found it in. But now we're seeing these messages and these topics creeping into bubble guppies and Peppa Pig and blues clues. So we're talking from the time our littles are 16 to 18 months old. They are actively being targeted and evangelized by the secular sexual worldview. So that's perhaps one of the biggest changes is now the focus is shift toward reaching kids at a young age. And it's deliberate and intentional because just a few years ago, there was an episode of Sesame Street that presented all forms of families. And one of them was a homosexual couple. And what the, uh, she was a head of education. And what she observed is, oh my gosh, this is so great that we can reach kids at such a young age. Because when children are young and they haven't been taught the biases of their parents, they're so accepting. And that was her excitement was that, oh, these kids will just swallow it. They will accept it. It's only until later that they're taught biases, that they start accepting and reflecting these biases. So if you remove the word biases and put Christian worldview or biblical worldview of sexuality, you'll understand the nature of culture out there. It's, it's seeing children at very young ages as prime targets for this cultivation, because then you can start this sort of uh, indoctrination. It's this goal of desensitization, meaning they're not shocked by anything outside of the biblical worldview and a normalization, meaning they see it so often that they, it, it stops being wild. And there was a psychologist that commented that our brains, they have trouble differentiating between that which is normal and that which is true. And so with kids, you can see how this is so effective because if they're not shocked by it anymore and it's seen as normal, well, then why wouldn't it be true? It's everywhere. And that's where, you know, we we kind of have these bird's eye view of ancient cultures, especially when we're reading scripture and we're like, how in the world was this culture able to flourish and weren't people shocked? Of course not, because this was slowly and deliberately progressively cultivated to where this was just normal everyday life. It didn't surprise. And that's what's being cultivated within our culture today. It starts very young and it's colorful and it's pretty and it's attractive. And then it shifts into when our kiddos hit that middle school range or when they're given a cell phone, they now get this activization to where now we're being involved in the world as a whole. And it, our kids are cultivated through social media to even curtail how they present themselves on social media to where they will actually start compromising their faith or even omitting uh, these biblical truths from their discussion because they want to be widely accepted, get the followers, get the likes. Not all kids do this, but this does happen. And to where then once they get into the high school range, now they're activated to the point of now we need to be reformers and we need to be advocating for the the underdog, the oppressed. And we all have that desire that we want to help lift up those who are who are oppressed or 
Um, the downtrodden, and that's a good thing to have, but we have to ask, okay, wait, what is true oppression? Is this actual people who are in fact suffering? And there was a, there's a news article that came out a few weeks or a few years ago that was talking about how Gen Z is looking for a revolution and, but they never really could tell, okay, what is a revolution? Because a revolution without guidance is just chaos. Yeah. And that's unfortunately what we're seeing a lot within culture is they, they want to be passionate. They want to make a stand, but if we don't say, okay, what is worth standing on, then we could fall under false ideology and actually cause more damage rather than helpfulness. Wow. That's so good. So I uh, saw recently, and I'm hoping that you have these numbers because I don't have them in my head, um, but there was research that came out about the crazy amount of increase in children identifying as LGBTQ um, in the last years, whereas it was like a very small percentage, like within, you know, the two to three percent um, in previous years. And then in the last five to 10 years, it's like up 30 percent. And then even people in that are not Christians that are culturally, you know, just secular people are saying, whoa, something is going on here. If this we've mm-hmm. had this huge rise in these number of children that are identifying this way. Have you heard about that? Have you seen that information? Yeah, I have mostly pertaining to transgenderism. So the UK, they saw a 4,000% increase in young children and teens identifying suddenly as transgender, um, overwhelmingly female as well. And so it it is shocking because this is culturally derived, because when we think about it, if we're if we're constantly telling kids through gender theory that gender is a spectrum and that you have to sort of experiment and try all of these different things and then you make it popular, too, which our culture has overwhelmingly done, especially within Hollywood and a lot of the secular sexual agenda. One of the things that's taught throughout is, okay, well, you need to experiment and see where you fall into, because how do you know you don't like it unless you try it. But this is horrible logic. I mean, we would not apply this to, you know, risky driving or taking medications and that sort of thing. But yet we are applying it to sexuality and how we use our bodies, which can have very detrimental effects, not only physically, but psychologically as well which have been well-documented that even hookup lifestyles that is promoted within teen culture as this is now sexual development. This is how you learn what you like is participating in all of these illicit liaisons that maybe are friends, but they could also be strangers. And we see a direct correlation to an increased risk of depression, anxiety, and substance abuse among drinking and alcohol, especially college-age students. It's just completely exploded. And so the question is, is why is this happening? You know, the, the, the LGBTQ ideology says, well, that's because we've destigmatized it now. So that way people are more free now to express themselves. But if you study anthropology at all or sociology, you you see that within cultures, certain behaviors can be cultivated and groomed, which is why, you know, ancient Rome they were they were highly promiscuous to include um, uh, homosexual lifestyles targeting even children as well because it just became the norm of culture and we see this within LGBTQ ideology as well to where if you have a child that's constantly being told okay well no you don't have any objective anchors to who you are via gender or attraction you just have to sort of experiment it's a good thing to experiment in fact we're even seeing on the news being told that if you do not engage in lifestyles 
uh, potentially with or a relationship with a transgender individual that now you're being bigoted and hateful. So right. people are even bullied into engaging in alternative lifestyles. And so kids start compromising. And what they've they've done, they've uh, there have been studies, they've done brain scans to where to see how um, how attraction works. And so with with females, what they found is that women are actually a little more um, when it comes to pornography exposure, they will be aroused even by um, images of same sex female couples, as well as heterosexual couples as well, men, not so much. So when you kind of throw that in there as well as, oh, look, see, uh, sexuality, it's fluid and that sort. So why wouldn't you experiment with it without putting any sort of moral constructs of, okay, but is this actually good? Is this within God's design? You can see how this would just take hold in culture, especially among teens, because it gives this false view of freedom, uh, sort of an anything goes mentality of whatever I want, whoever's giving me uh, attention, I can go and seek after that. And then you throw in social media influencers and pop culture like Ariana Grande, Demi Lovato, who are telling their followers to go ahead and engage in these illicit lifestyles because all you are are sexual beings. Um, you can see why kids would just take that and run, especially when you throw psychologists as well, encouraging kids to behave in this manner without ever asking, wait a second, what are the worldview claims within those statements being made about me as a person? Most kids won't dive into the deeper questions and the deeper realities within that. Instead, they'll just go chasing after these illicit lifestyles and so much brokenness is found within them. So that makes me think about the family unit. Like, is this coming from the idea that maybe the family is not as um, active in their kid's life? Like when I think about my own home, I'm constantly aware of what my kids are doing. I'm asking questions. I'm talking to them. I want to hear their experiences at school. But if these kids are finding all these outside influences from social media and influencers and even at school teachers and such, what is happening in the home that's not helping ground these kids to what should be okay? Like, like you shouldn't be doing that. Who's telling them that? Right. Right. Absolutely. And honestly, it stems from us not talking about sexuality from a discipleship and worldview standpoint. So most people, so I've been spending this whole fall season, just traveling across the country to different churches, talking about how sex isn't an act, but an expression of one's entire worldview. And every time I give this talk at the very beginning, I ask parents, okay, how was sex explained to you? Most of them, uh, none of their parents spoke to them. Instead, it was that class in fourth grade where the girls went to one room and the boys went to the other and you got like anatomy and puberty and that sort. Um, Others had one of those medical parents that had that book with all those scarring images, you know, but most kids didn't get this talk. It was very materialistic, meaning it was just reduced to two people coming together for the sake of procreation. And that's not how God designed sex. Sex reflects spiritual realities. It's symbolic of Christ's relationship to the church and the flourishing that comes when we are united with Christ. But most people don't get that talk. In fact, I've never had one person raise their hand when I've asked, okay, how many of you were told that sex expresses what you believe about God, reality, who we are as human beings, truth, morality? No one has ever done that. So if you think about it, since none of us and our parents never got that talk, we never got that talk. And so it's one of these, we pass on tradition. We think of the sex as just a really awkward, maybe 10 minute conversation that we get to check off our parenting checklist, you know, when our kid starts getting around the puberty range and that's it. 
So if that's the case, then you got to think of how culture is meeting our kids today to where they have been grooming them from the time they're toddlers to the secular sexual worldview. And we think one 10 minute talk when they're 13 is going to, is going to do it. And it's not. And so that's why we really need to change our focus on what sex is. Sex is something that we steward uh, the understanding of it within our children, just like we would any other spiritual dis- discipline and spiritual um, spiritual gift. So we need to be speaking about this regularly and interacting with it regularly. Because for one, that tells our kiddos that, hey, whatever question you have, you can come to mom and dad and ask it. Uh, we This philosophy is, is super important to have is if your children have the maturity to ask the question, we as parents have the responsibility to give them an answer. Oh, that's good. Now this, this responsibility or this answer needs to be age appropriate and location appropriate. Cause let's be honest, all of us have had a moment where our kids have asked a super <laughs> kind of vulnerable question in a very public setting. Yes, And it's totally okay as moms to be like, baby, fantastic question. Uh, you know, grandma's dinner table, not the best timing. So let's <laughs> wait till we drive home. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's what, that's how we have to have that shift because now we have culture through cartoons as well as songs grooming our kiddos. And now what our kids have today that many of us did not are social media platforms like Reddit and Quora. And so what Reddit and Quora are doing is it's opened this opportunity for teens to be actively discipled by complete strangers. Yeah. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of complete strangers. And if you have ever hopped on any of those platforms before, I do from time to time just to see, okay, how is this being communicated? And what happens is a, a teen will type in a question like, how do I know I'm really a girl? Or, you know, I don't know if I'm trans or I don't know if I have same sex attraction. And then you will have all these folks who pour into this teen. Oh, this is how you know of this secular ideology. But it's not just this blank ideology. Now they're what they're also saying is, okay, you can't trust anyone who is cis, meaning cisgender. So anyone who believes in heterosexual relationships, that's a cisgender, or they they have some heterosexual attraction, they're cisgender, they're cis, you can't trust them because they will not have your best interests at heart. And so now they're putting a wedge between the people who influence their children most, which is the parents and the church. And then they will actually tell the kids, okay, this is what you should expect. Your parents are going to freak out. Your church is going to freak out. They're probably going to abandon or reject you or tell you that maybe what you're doing isn't right or good or healthy. And if they do, you need to separate yourself from that relationship. There have actually been instances of kids being groomed and told how to run away from their homes because the these strangers have said, okay, your family is not going to support you. And these kids get immersed into this online culture that is very cult-like in behavior to where there is, it starts out with affirmation bombing. Like, oh, you're so brave. You're such a warrior. This is amazing that you're doing it. And then it starts luring into, now you're only going to be accepted in this group and you can't trust any of your other family. And then once they start going into this other group and worldview, now it's, well, you have to remain here. You cannot question what's being taught. You cannot even wrestle at times with your own identity because that's actually practicing self-hate is what's being, uh, what's being told to a lot of these teens. And if you do any of those things or start doubting or raise questions, then a lot of these online communities will then threaten to ostracize that individual. So if you think about it, they have been separated from their families and their church, brought over to this one group, and then the one community where they were promised acceptance, validation, tolerance, all of these things, if they start wrestling with their identity within this community, 
they could potentially be kicked out. So now they're not, they're losing that one community that they were basing themselves on. So it's, it's dangerous. And that's why we as parents need to have these regular conversations because a lot of the ideology at play, it's progressively being introduced at young ages and built upon. But if we are diligent in discipling our children's sexuality, we can debunk nearly every single argument before it even gets to our kiddos at this young age. And it also shows that mom and dad, this is a safe place where you can go and have this discussion, which is why it's so important from us as parents is to change how we view sex. And it's, it's not something that's, and I think that's how Satan's been so effective, right? He makes it awkward and taboo. And some of the encounters that I've talked with women who had the best relationships regarding sexuality, they could just go to mom as she's washing dishes or, or doing things around the house and ask whatever they wanted. And mom is right there to be like, oh, here's, you know, here's how we know this is true. Um, here's some resources. Or if mom and dad didn't know, oh, it's okay, let me get you an answer. And the kids knew I could go to mom for these questions. And this has been backed up by research. So Barna, surveyed who teens go the most to for core questions like regarding the Bible, if something's bothering them, um, truth, sexuality, and mom ranked number one in every single category, except politics. They went to dad for politics, (laughs) which is okay. Uh Uh, And even sex, they went to friends first, but we all did that. We all talked to our friends at the lunch table before we, you know, went to mom first, but mom was number two within sexuality and parents, what they found from the ages of 12, 12 to 19, parents are the number one influencer on their children's sexual decision-making. So all the way through those awkward teenage and puberty years, we are the number one influencers over technology, uh, the entertainment industry, and their friends, which is fantastic. But so many parents don't realize this because when we look at family dynamics on the TV, we we see families that are highly dysfunctional to where the kids aren't listening to the parents, the parents aren't talking to the kids, and we think that that's reality. Reality. Yeah. And it's not. Our parent, our kiddos want us to talk about these issues. They may roll their eyes and put in their ear pods sometimes, but they they want a safe place to interact with this. And we need to make sure that our home is prime training mode before they get launched off into the world. So good. So I actually one of my um children came to me and when she was a fifth grader and she just had this look of horror on her face she was so afraid mm-hmm. to talk to me about this and um she said she said that she had seen another girl and felt like mm-hmm. she was pretty and mm-hmm. wondered if that meant she was gay oh, and yeah. she was you know just honestly just terrified that that then this mm-hmm. was like this thing that had been decided for her that she yeah. didn't have any um, choice in the matter, you know, like this mm-hmm. was something that had happened to her. And gosh, it just broke my heart because I never had to experience that. I feel like growing up, I mean, I saw, I thought other girls were pretty and stuff or yeah. liked what they were wearing. And I felt safe to have those feelings. It, it never made me think that my sexuality or my sexual attraction was in limbo. I, I, that was just mm-hmm. part of like normal growing up. Like you, you thought people looked good, right? Yeah. Oh, but yeah. For her, it was this immense pressure then to make a decision about mm-hmm. her sexual orientation or actually for her, it it seemed like it felt like the decision had already been made for her and she didn't yeah. even have any power over it, right? Like she had been born this way, or, right? She was so mm-hmm. scared. And I remember just feeling heartbroken for her because even though we have these conversations and this is a home where we are cultivating it to be a safe space, 
even she was subject to that. And it hurt me just terribly to see her being racked with that extreme pressure as a 10 year old, as a 10 year old, having to make this decision. Um, and so just having, you know, just sitting down with her and being like, no, that's like totally normal. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's totally normal. And that's, unfortunately, that's what we're seeing in culture is this hypersexual um, focus on relationships. And there have been news articles that have been coming out about how this is this is adversely affect men, especially because men can no longer have great intimate friendships with other men because it's always seen as gay. And there was, Oh gosh, one of the star, I think it was rogue. No, not rogue one. One of the star Wars movies with Finn and Poe, like they were, they had a good friendship, but what happened? Oh, well now we need to make them a relationship. Why, why can't these men have good relationships? Or even as a girl, I remember reading Anne of Green Gables and I loved her relationship with her friend. I mean, they, they would hold hands, but can you imagine if two young girls were holding hands, just having a good friendship today? it would be hypersexualized mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and we're seeing our children robbed of good intimate friendships for this hyper focus on sexual on sexualization and it's it's tragic because like your poor 10 year old she couldn't even think another person was pretty without having this almost existential crisis of oh wait a second does this mean i'm gay no you're admiring beauty yeah. and that is how god has designed us to see and even seek out creating and cultivating beauty there's nothing wrong with that yeah. but that's one of those things we've been robbed of culture. It's just even having good friendships or even recognizing the beauty in another person. I just have never heard it described as discipling your kid's sexuality. Yeah. Like I feel like as a mom, I've been discipling all kinds of stuff, your manners, your hygiene, your friend drama, your academics. I have never heard it said like that. I think that's going to be really new for our moms to think, okay, wait, that is part of what I'm called to do. Well, and I have some follow-up questions for you there because I feel like um, in the last episode, like we did a pretty decent job talking about like how we talk to our kids about sex and their bodies and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I really feel like you even then took our viewpoint higher to look at um, the God piece and the whole thing. And we did talk a little bit about how that it was all part of his design. But what have you done? Are there any resources or kind of how have you talked with your children about the things that you mentioned about this being a beautiful reflection of who God is and this is part of our worship and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So even before we talk about sexuality, one conversation we have to have with our kids first is on the existence of truth. So our culture today is highly relativistic, meaning that, it, and it's this shift from modernism to postmodernism. So when uh, our, our ancient forefathers realized that they couldn't know all the things and bring about world peace through the power of their minds and logic and critical thinking, they sort of overcorrected into saying, okay, well, if we can't know everything, then we can know nothing, like super dramatic teen response right there. And uh, and so now they're saying, okay, well, truth isn't knowable, so everybody's truth exists. So if you've ever heard the statement, she's got her truth and I've got my truth, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. that is rampant within our culture. It's called relativism. And it's immensely problematic when it comes to when we think of worldviews, because if your kid has absorbed this relativism, then anytime we teach or preach uh, and point to the realities of God, what our kids start thinking is, well, that's just mom's truth and dad's truth. Uh, I've seen this within Christian private school. I've, I've substituted within Christian private schools to where a 12th grade apologetics class, the students could not write a, an evangelistic encounter that they would have with a friend. Like, how would you share the gospel? And they, 
they, I said, well, did I explain the directions wrong? And they go, well, no, Miss Amy, you know, she's got her truth and I've got my truth. But, and I mean, that's okay, right? Like I don't have to share the gospel. And oh, if our kids don't understand that truth is knowable and that truth exists, then anything we teach after that will just sound like a preference. So there are that that's where we need to start with our kiddos because sexuality is highly based on this sort of relativistic outlook of, well, they've got their sexual truth and you have your sexual truth, but it's actually ramped up a little bit. Uh, there was a, there was a phrase that, um, I picked up from, from another friend and it, it perfectly summarizes what I was seeing in culture and it's called meta modernism. So when we think of meta, we probably, if you've got teens, you've heard of the metaverse where it's this immersive video game experience to where now you can even buy virtual real estate and money online. Um, kids are now thinking that their avatars that they create are their true selves. So meta means creating it's this focus on, I create my own reality. And so that's where we're seeing this now shift in culture, because if everything is preference, there's no power in that. You can only get power from something being objectively true. So that's where the sexuality movement is really taking hold. And that's why we're seeing laws being able to be changed because now it's not just my truth and her truth. It's if I experience this, so it's this experience filter if it passes through my experience filter and I experience it, then that makes it true. But it's not just true for me. It's true for you as well. And you have to now change to accommodate my truth. So that's this difference between metamodernism and postmodernism. Postmodernism said, well, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. Metamodernism says, I've got my truth and it's also yours and you have to change. And so it's these problematic viewpoints on worldview, which is why for our kiddos, we have to start, okay, is what is truth? Does it exist and is it knowable? So that's that foundation layer. And we actually see this in Ephesians 6. The very first piece of the armor of God we're told to put on is the belt of truth. And this was intentional. This was the first piece that Roman soldiers put on because every aspect of their armor to include their weapon was anchored to that belt. Without it, they could not be effective in battle because the breastplate would come off. They would lose their sword. It made them more vulnerable. So this is where we start with our kiddos. We have to start with that, that truth foundation. And then once we say, okay, truth is knowable. Um, yes, there are some things that are more like preference. We can think of it as in the context of temperature of a room. So if we're in a, a room together, for some people, the room feels too cold. For other people, it feels too warm. And that's everybody's preference. However, what's true for all people? That it's 72 degrees within the room. Right. Wow, and so that's great. That, that's good. That is that is how we can differentiate between the existence of subjective truth, which is um each person's preference or how they feel, um, to objective truth, which is true for all people. So that's where we start with our kiddos is this foundation of truth. Then we shift into recognizing the beauty of God's design, which in your last podcast, it sounds like you really did a fantastic job. And it is, it's impressive. Like I loved going on baby center, uh, when we were expecting, because each week we got to see this incredible development, uh, of this infant. And that's awesome. If you have a a young child and you are, um, if you're pregnant or you know someone who is to follow along fetal development, I mean, it just screams of a creator. Like this could not happen by step by step. The, The human race never would have flourished. Right. And 
so it never, never would have gotten off the ground. And so that's why it's amazing that we point back to God's design and then we show, okay, but this is what happened when sin entered and sin broke everything, not just creation, but sexuality as well. Um, our desires, because there's one phrase that's kind of taking hold within culture. It's well, God made me this way to, to say that, well, if I feel something is true, or if I have a natural inclination to it that I did not solicit, then that's how God made me and it makes it okay. But no, God's creative work, it it stopped on day seven, sin, a corrupted creation. So we're going to have brokenness within creation, but God can use how he's allowed us to come about for the glory of him. And so that's where we need to be really talking to our kiddos at a young age on what is identity, what is masculinity and femininity. Because within LGBTQ um, ideology, especially transgenderism, masculinity and femininity are based on strict gender stereotypes, which they say are toxic and socially derived only to use them to determine whether or not you're male or female. So it's self-refuting. But when we go back to scripture and we say, okay, yes, there are the the homemakers, like we see Mary, who's fantastic at running her home. Um, But we also have entrepreneurs like Joanna, who was a a dealer of purple cloth. have leaders like Deborah, who was a judge over Israel. And we have girls that kick tail like jail. I love the speaker that came on Mother's Day when she said jail's awesome. She took down the biggest um, Canaanite leader by taining, t- staking his head to the ground with a tent post. I mean, right. and you don't mess with stay-at-home wives. You know, yeah. it's a great biblical example. <laughs> yes, And it's awesome because we may have a feisty, sassy little girl in our house that may not fit with the Mary mold, but because God has designed range within masculinity and femininity, she may fit more in the jail and the Deborah's. And so that's what's so, that's why it's discipleship because it's so multifaceted that it requires many conversations over a long period of time for us to just really revel in God's beauty and glory and design. And I've been able to to give talks to teens before. And it's so fun because I I had one teen girl come running up and she was like, Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. Like how God designed sex and our sexuality. He was like, she goes, he really loves us. Like, this is so cool. And she had never heard and understand how God's design is screams out not only in biology, but also in psychology and all of, all of these facets of creation screams to the glory of the creator. And she hadn't seen it until that moment. And it's like, that's, that's what we want. We want this perpetual enchantment with our kiddos for God's design and to recognize that we are precious and made in his image, which requires boundaries and protections upon ourselves, our hearts as well, because the world and Satan is attacking everything that screams to the glory of the creator. And that is why we see such a huge attack on the family and our identity, because who we are as human beings, it says in Romans one, we, our identity scream, the glory of the creator. So of course, that's what he's going to attack. So that's why we have these multiple conversations. And I feel like I got off on a tangent. I'm sorry if I didn't answer your initial question. You did. That's what I think is the thing that we want our mamas to hear is that it takes multiple conversations. Yeah. That I feel like sometimes as a parent, you feel like, okay, well, at age 12, that's when we have the talk, and then we're done. And yeah. then at age 16, we talk about driving, and then we're done. Yeah. But what <laughs> you're saying is it's it's this idea that it's an ongoing conversation consistently in your home um, mm-hmm. over time. I read this thing when I was studying about for our episode last week about teaching your kids about how babies are made. It's a drip-by-drip yeah. method. You're constantly dripping truth onto them. So that everywhere Absolutely. they turn, they're hearing your voice speaking just what you said, the belt of truth 
over their hearts and lives because when they exit your house or maybe they're even on technology in your house, they're hearing somebody else drip into their life. So I need to be dripping more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why taking or viewing sex as it's supposed to be from a worldview perspective is so helpful because when we train our kiddos to be able to recognize truth, when something comes into their purview that is trying to make a truth claim, they'll be able to stop and evaluate, okay, wait a second, is this actually true? Or is this an emotional lie that has a lot of passion behind it and maybe a wounded figure, but it is still no less a lie. And that is our goal as parents is okay. When something is presented, when a song comes on the radio or when we're watching a cartoon, because that's how sexuality, bisexuality among children was introduced in our household about six years ago through a cartoon and we were not expecting it. And, uh, and, but if we teach our kids to recognize the worldview claims out there, then they're going to stop and say, okay, wait a second. What is this saying about who I am? God's design and existence about what truth is, morality, um, you know, all of these things, then they will stop and think critically rather than being manipulated emotionally by culture. And that's what our culture tries to do is it tries to get people to react emotionally because it's a different part of the brain. You're not thinking critically with that sort of amygdala emotional response. And, but if they can get your kiddos to think that way, then they don't really have to preach about truth. They just have to stir them emotionally and they can easily be manipulated into whatever path our, our culture wants them to go. Yeah. So I also have a freshman teen boy. And oh, nice. uh, so he is being confronted with these conversations at school um, where, yeah. you know, other kids know he's a Christian. And so they want to... <sighs> I feel like box him into a place where he's going to be hateful and judgmental and, you know, close that he's closed minded, right? All these things I feel like, because if you're a Christian in this day and age and you, you do believe the way that we do about homosexuality, Mm -hmm. then all of these other things are associated with us, right? So how can I help him? navigate those conversations where when he's approached, you know, what are the responses that he can give that are loving and also full of truth? Yeah, absolutely. So part of it is, is laying that groundwork of, we have to help our kids understand who they are. So baby, you are made in the image of God and you are immensely precious and loved extremely um, just for, just for existing, just because you are, you are alive. And so we want our kids to know that because so much of our child's self-worth is often based on how their friends perceive them or their, their friends view or how many followers they have. It's so easy nowadays. And we adults, we fall into it too. We base our self-worth on how other people see us, but it's God. It's what he, how he sees us that is, is actually true and what truly matters. So when, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so that's where we need to root our kids in is that first initial knowledge. Uh, second, we need to start exposing them to, uh, to logical fallacies because when our kids hear these things like, oh, you're bigoted, you're closed minded. These are ad hominem attacks. I mean, it's characters, it's name calling. Like if you said, okay, well, let's take this statement. You're closed minded. If you take out closed minded and put cotton headed ninny muggins, it's the same thing, but it, it sounds ridiculous. So uh, we have to acquaint our kids with logical fallacies because so much of the LGBTQ ideology is based on holding people captive by using faulty reasoning and faulty logic. So there's a great book called Fallacy Detective that we that you can get for your kiddos, and it's short stories on acquainting with faulty reasoning and logic. So we want our kids to think critically, which our culture does not, to where if they can think well through an argument, they are going to be head and shoulders above their peers. 
Uh, third thing is start debunking these arguments at home. So there is a common misconception around definitions. So within Mama Bear, where I work, we call it linguistic theft. So being open-minded nowadays means accepting all things as truth. But that's ridiculous. You can't accept all things as truth. Right. A, a cup, I've got a coffee mug in front of me. My coffee mug cannot be both boiling hot and freezing cold at the same time. It's law of non-contradiction. Um, it does not work. That is not what open-mindedness is. Open-mindedness truly means that you are willing to evaluate uh, all things for truth. It doesn't mean you accept all things as truth, but that's this co-opting of definitions within culture that it sounds good. It sounds valid if that's what the, the word means, but so often it doesn't. So with our kids, what we want to be talking to them about is, okay, if a statement is made like that, like you're being bigoted or you're being closed-minded or you're not being loving or uh, in affirming, what we want to do is anytime a word like that is made, we want to say, okay, stop the conversation and be like, okay, but what do you mean by loving? What do you mean by affirming? What do you mean by closed-mindedness? Okay. And this is a great way for our kiddos to pause the conversation, get the other person to transition into thinking critically and define the terms. Because if we don't do that, sometimes we can, we can be arguing and make, I'll be arguing about one subject and they're arguing about something completely different. We're never going to meet in the middle. So we want to make sure that all the cards are on the table and we understand where things are going. So first, uh, understanding good. who yeah. we are in Christ. Second, acquaint, um, acquaint our kiddos with logical fallacies because it's heavy within uh, culture. Um, third, debunk or, or and define terms. Understand what definitions mean and how culture is using these terms because that will give them a leg up too because so often uh, teens will retreat retweet without researching. And that's mm -hmm. what we can need our kiddos to do. And then what we can do fourth is start acquainting, especially when they're getting into the middle school and high school years, because this is when it starts getting more volatile mm -hmm. with understanding the arguments that the other side is making and how to respond. Okay. So there's a very charismatic gentleman by the name of Matthew Vines, who argues that the God's design for biblical sexuality just meant all loving consensual relationships, not just man and woman. So uh, when we, it's a great thing for us to do is to acquaint our kiddos with these arguments ahead of time, as well as the biblical responses to it. So that way we can have good dialogue okay. and perhaps most effectively it, that we need to do with our kiddos is recognizing when a conversation is not there for good discussion and critical thinking, they're just trying to shame, mock, or destroy. And that often happens when kids are kind of ganged up on yeah. to where if you, if it's a one-on-one -on -one situation, people typically have more charitable conversations, but if it's your child against five or six affirming friends, oftentimes it's just an ambush. We're just going to hit you with as many arguments as possible. There's going to be a shifting of the goalpost to where if they give an effective argument and one side, somebody else will be like, well, yeah, but... And then, oh, something else gets introduced. And the goal isn't to think well about a subject. It's to try and find something that your kids don't know about to then say, oh, you don't know it. Okay, therefore you're wrong. Okay. And so right. one of the things we can help with our kiddos is, okay, understand you're going to meet challenges. Not every hill is meant for you to die on. Mm -hmm. Not every argument is meant for you to uptake. You really need to see, is this person actually searching and having good discussions? Or is this meant to just be an ambush tactic? And you can kind of tell if they're constantly shifting, if anger starts incorporating into the argument, that's usually a signal that, okay, wait, we need to maybe shut the conversation down because we see things getting volatile. 
Um, and so that's a great way for kiddos. We can say, okay, you know, it, it seems like, you know, things are starting to get a little worked up and I, I want to have good conversation. How about, you know, I've actually got to get to this class or mm-hmm. I need to, you know, do this thing. You can think up of, you know, any sort of random, random excuse that you like just to pull out of that argument, especially if it's starting to get hostile, yeah. because again, that's not where good thought and discussion is happening. That's just an attack on the kid. Be like, you know what, maybe we can meet this or, or talk about this tomorrow or the next day. Um, and try, yeah, one-on-one conversations are a little bit easier to navigate, but yeah, I've been in situations myself uh, when I was in the military to where it was, it was that ganging up, try to, gu- they're playing a gotcha game. They're just trying to find something. And typically if they know your kid is a Christian, they'll try and play that to be like, okay, well, this is, this is why you're bigoted. And this is why you're hateful. Okay. But wait a second. What do we mean by bigoted? And are, is this actually a good lifestyle? And when you look at statistics on mental health, um, as well as uh, bodily health as well, no, actually, when we live within God's design, they are the most uh, overall mentally healthy as well as physically healthy as well. And this is where the most flourishing occurs, which makes sense because it's consistent with God's design. Right. So empowering our kids with knowledge, um, uh, facts on these top cultural issues, logic, uh, basic logic and critical thinking skills and understanding when to bow out of an argument Um Sometimes that can be hard because kids think, okay, because in our culture today, right? Who wins the argument? The one who gets the last word. Yeah. But does that actually mean they've won the argument? No, but that's what maybe what their friends perceive it as. But you know what? Oh, well, they people can perceive any sort of falsehood they like. That's fine. The question is, is it true? Is it right? And just knowing when to engage in an argument and when to not. So there's a great book uh, called Greg Kokel's Tactics that is super accessible, that if you're looking for a great book for your kiddos, especially uh, upper middle school, high school, that's a great one to read together because it'll give them questions to ask their friends that are open-ended, that gets their friends thinking and puts the burden um, off themselves for the argument. It's okay, but what do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? Really great. great, um, A little yeah, Elizabeth Urbanowitz also just came out with a critical thinking curriculum uh, that's basic logic and that sort. It's geared for homeschooling and private schools. But this, even if you have your kids in public school, this is an awesome curriculum that you can purchase and start implementing in your home to get your kiddos to think well. And that's what we're, that's what we're called to do is to make competent kiddos. It's the Holy Spirit's role to convert. We're just meant to raise competent kiddos. So that's our that's our goal. So good. So good. There was so much good stuff in there. I think we can put some of that in the show notes too, the things that you listed, because I thought that was great with the resources. Yeah. So as we wrap up this conversation, I mean, it's so good. I'm going to need to listen to this episode multiple times and take notes because she has so many really powerful one-liners about what our role is, what it isn't, and some really specific things about how we can help our kiddos. But as we wrap up this conversation, you know, for mamas Mm -hmm. listening out there, what is your heart for them on this issue? You know, if if they could take one powerful thing away from this, as we, gosh, we're kind of pioneering something that our parents did not deal with in the same way that we are, you know, as we're helping our kids through this um, in a different way, what would be your, your big plea for moms? What do you hope for them? Don't be overwhelmed. So often, especially as moms, it's so easy for us to think that we have to do all the things and they have to be insta perfect. And if we haven't been doing them from the time our babies are, you know, newly in the world that we have failed as a parent. And that is not true. Those are all lies from Satan to get us distracted and overwhelmed and to shut down conversation. So what I encourage all moms to do is just do one thing. So 
see where your kids are at. Depending on their age level, it's going to be different. What schooling environment they have, it's going to be different. Check in with your kiddos. Ask them if there's things they're struggling with or what are they hearing? And then that'll give you a great jumping off point of, okay, where do I need to start? For teens, hop on their phones and see what are the top songs that they're listening to and then read the lyrics of those songs. Because so, I mean, how many of us, right? We're like bouncing along to this song and then we start realizing later, like, wait a second, what is this actually saying? Yeah. Um, and so you can look at music, watch cartoons with your kiddos if they're little and take opportunities to see, okay, what's coming at them and then pick one thing. So pick one subject, read a chapter, read a blog, listen to a podcast, and then have one conversation. That's our role as parents, just have the one conversation. And then when that one conversation is over, just have one more yeah. and repeat. That is discipleship. That is what we're told in scripture from the morning to the evening. We are, con- we are talking and we're use what culture has. I mean, goodness, the month of June and even May now, you, you don't have to, you don't have to look hard to find it. Even walking through Target or Walmart. Okay. Well, here's a catchphrase. Love is love. What does that actually mean? What do they mean by love? And as you're shopping for cereal and toilet paper, you can be discipling your child's sexuality and having great theological discussions you know, all because of a pillow that you saw in Walmart. Mm -hmm. So have one conversation, um, just be an active prayer for, for God to bring things to light that you can discuss, um, and have the boldness to speak into your kiddos because he didn't give us a spirit of meekness, but of boldness. And we are to use the armor of God and train our children to use the armor of God. So just be bold mamas and have one conversation. Oh, I love that. That's so good. So for our moms that want to just learn more about you and the resources you have, tell us how they can um, get connect with you. Absolutely. So sexuality, we have got a great book. It's the Mama Bear Guide our mama bear apologetics guide to sexuality to where we take some of the top things in culture regarding sexuality and break them down chapter by chapter. And we have a systematic method of evaluating, okay, what are they saying? What is the truth? What is the falsehood? What's some of the history behind it? And how do we have godly conversations to point our kiddos back to truth? Fantastic uh, book that even we even have a study guide that goes along with it. Um, Mama Bear Apologetics, all one word. So it's M-A-M-A, bearapologetics.com. We have a great website that has all sorts of blogs, not just on sexuality. We're talking worldviews and cultural challenges as well that you can just really be empowered to understand what's going on in culture. And we also have a resource page too, because I love footnotes. I love resources and sources. So even if you want to know more about a subject, that's where you can reach us. And you can even, we have a Mama Bear Facebook page. And what I love to tell folks is we have a message option on the Facebook page to where if you click it and you write us a quick little note, it comes directly to our phones. Like my cell phone here, if you send a message, it's going to pop up on my phone. And we've had some great fellowship with moms to where if there's something going on uh, that you want questions or advice or a resource, hop on there and one of us will reach out to you to equip you. So yeah, there's, there's so many great resources out there that did not exist five years ago. So this is a great time to be a mom. Even though culture seems intimidating, God has put you here for a purpose and there are resources to get you through it. So be empowered mamas. There is something out there for you. Amazing. So good. Thank you so much for being with us today, Amy. I can't wait for our moms to get to hear this. I really think it's going to be a help to what they're going through right now with their kids. So thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. One easy way you can help another mama is by sharing this podcast with her. If you have laughed, been encouraged, and gotten help here, would you take a moment to share this podcast on your socials? Text the link to a friend and leave a rating and review. 
Thanks for your help in getting the word out to mamas about this space we've created just for them. 